You're listening to Do What You Want Radio, a podcast series for creative entrepreneurs, freelancers, and those ready to learn how to do what they want. I'm your host, Jordan Heffler. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Do What You Want Radio, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs and freelancers and general uh, people who want to listen to me talk too fast. So I'm here with my friend Catherine Silva. She is a creative producer, and she lives in Los Angeles because she is a superstar. So everyone say hi to Catherine. Well, the audience isn't in the room, so um, I don't know why I said everyone say hi. But yeah, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, dude? Good. Um, and for the record, Catherine, so weird to call you Catherine. I'm used to calling you Katie. Um, we are Skyping because she is in L.A., so if the audio sounds a little different, then that's what's going on. Um, but I want you to tell everybody a little bit about like what you currently do because I can't even really explain all the cool things you've accomplished Cool. Um, so number one, call me Silva Silva. because everyone is named Catherine or Katie. So I just mostly go by Silva out here. People like it. Um, but I am a creative producer for attention, which is a digital media publisher, meaning that any videos that we make for social, for OTT platforms, um, including some television platforms, I will, develop, write, produce, direct, um, do really anything that makes it come to life. Part of the term creative producer is that you make shit happen, (laughs) frankly. Yeah. Um, anything that needs to be done, you can do and keep the overall creative, um, goal in mind. So you're in charge. You would think, (laughs) but in essence, if something doesn't go right, it comes back on me. So yes. (laughs) So Before you were at Attention, you were just a fellow LSU student and friend of mine. You're not not my student. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) You were a fellow student, um, and we were friends at Louisiana State University. And so tell everybody, like, what you majored in and kind of your your path from there to here. I majored in broadcast journalism, and I actually kept that major all four years of college. Um, When I started out, I really wanted to be Christiane Amanpour, or James Carville. I really loved politics, and I was like, politics and news, it's where it's at. Um, My two minors, though, are political science and theater. So through those two, I got to take a lot of writing classes, some film classes, things like that, and I kind of found my way into the actual television sphere, that there are ways to comment on politics and current events and tell stories that connect with people and make a lasting impact that is not just the news. Um, And I learned that politics were really, really volatile, and I don't have that kind of a personality. Um, So I started working with Tiger TV on LSU's campus, which is student media, and I fell in absolute love with producing television. Um, I think it's the coolest thing to take your thought and make it come to life, and people look at it, and they enjoy it, and they quote it, and all of these things. Um, So when I graduated, I just got a job in television, trying to learn from the bottom up. I did a lot of internships that augmented my degree because my degree's in, you know, being a news anchor basically. So I really used my experience to introduce me to the parts of the process that I wouldn't have learned about in school. So I feel like you (laughs) smoothed over a huge thing that you got to do. You worked at Disney. I did the Disney college program. Yes. 
which actually has nothing to do with broadcast journalism. No, but Disney <laughs> owns everything, so I'm everything. sure it doesn't look bad uh, on your resume. Which is a really big deal. The job that I have now, I've been here for almost three years, and I've kind of worked my way up very much. One of those, take whatever job's available and grind until you get where you are. Um, they hired me to be the operations coordinator and they told me, and they still tell me to this day that they hired me because they knew Disney didn't just hire anyone that to make it into that program and to make it out of that program, you've got to have some really awesome skills. Um, and people still, you know, five years out, bring it up to me and they're like, that's so cool. Tell me more about it. And if anything, it's a really great conversation piece which is almost the hardest part of like a job interview or something. Mm -hmm. So what were you doing at Disney? And this was at Disney World, correct? Disney World in Florida. Um, I worked the Toy Story Midway Mania ride, um, which until recently was the most popular ride in the park. Just mm -hmm. wanted to say. Um, so I would run the ride, make sure it was safe, um, press some buttons, talk to some people, um, for me, it was the most beneficial because I had never really lived away before. Um, and it was something that I was terrified of doing. I'm really close to my family. You know, I like have, the, I've had the same friends my whole life. Um, and to move across the country where I knew no one and knew nothing really showed me that I can take big risks which yeah. you can see directly, you know, no more than one year later, I moved to California for a summer. <laughs> yeah. And can we also kind of talk about, I know, I mean, the whole point of this podcast is for me to toot everyone else's horn for them. Um, you casually worked for Oprah. Can you tell me about I, that? I did. So I worked for Oprah for <laughs> so weird. It's like, to me, it's just such a small part of the story. Um, but it's not, it's like huge. It's what I tell everyone. I'm like, I know Katie, she worked for Oprah. <laughs> Um, so I blind applied to a bunch of internships one summer and I blind applied to the Oprah Winfrey network, not thinking I was more like, I've got to get an internship or I will die because you have to have one to get a job these days. <laughs> um, so I applied and randomly got it and moved to LA for a summer working in the deliverables department of her production company, which is basically the funnel between the actual studio, the actual um, network and the production companies that make it. So anything that goes in or out comes through that department, which was kind of like a crash course in how to make a television show from cast lists to cuts to development materials, back and forth, you know, legal reviews. I saw everything and got to read everything got to ask questions, got on a first name basis with all these vice presidents. Um, and after I graduated a few months later, they asked me to come back. So after I graduated from LSU, about three days later, I moved out there to work for her full time. And I worked there for about three months after that. Mm -hmm. Um, again, just learning as much as humanly possible and trying to find out how to become Oprah. Turns out it's pretty hard. <laughs> um, but the rumors are true. She is the nicest woman absolutely alive. So did you ever get to like get Manny Petties with Oprah or no? No, but the third day of my internship, we had a party with Funny or Die because uh -huh. we shared a building with Funny or Die. 
which is Will Ferrell's company. And they like bought us like hot dogs and chips and we like had a ping pong tournament and like Oprah and Will Ferrell were there. You're so like low key about all this. I feel like you have to be when you move to LA cause like everyone can't just be walking around like a fan girl, but um, well, I think that's pretty part common. of it is because I don't want to like be screaming into your ears <laughs> right now. It's still a very surreal experience. Just the fact that like I worked for the most powerful woman in the world and got to speak to her and like hear her firsthand tell me why it's so important to tell stories that have never been told before. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really big reason why I am so passionate about telling women's stories is because she would kind of at every staff meeting stand up and be like, these stories matter. These stories are changing lives. These stories have never been told before. You know, she tells a lot of stories of black women and that's because we don't have their stories. They're, you know, their stories are not for us to consume. So being able just to learn the intention behind storytelling from her is way cooler to me than eating hot dogs with her though. Yeah. It was really cool. <laughs> I mean, not everyone gets to casually eat hot dogs with Oprah or Will Ferrell, much less at the same time. Um, so <laughs> how did all of that um, turn into working for attention? So the cool thing about working for Oprah is that I learned kind of like what was necessary and what skills I needed to have without doing those jobs. You know, I kind of was a little proactive, busy bee, the kind of person everyone hates and just asked a bunch of questions. Um, so when I started working for attention, I knew what kind of job I wanted. You know, I said, look, I'll take this job operations coordinator, but I immediately was like, what's the next step? You know, after I were, you know, what is, what is the growth goal? I want to work in content. And I had, you know, made my own short videos, made my own films I had worked for several news companies and production companies in Baton Rouge. So I had these skills and both the Open Free Network and Attention when I joined were both startups. So they needed those people. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when, when Attention was just starting, they were like, we need someone who knows how to manage deliverables. I knew how to do that. So I did that along with my job. You know, we need someone that can write a script. Hey, great news. My degree is in that. So I am volunteer to write a script. And at one point I was doing like six different jobs, but it was a way to kind of get my foot in the door mm-hmm. or as the company expanded, I got to expand with it. And in three years, I would have never thought that I'm directing millions of dollars worth of content, but I truly do think it's because I just thrust myself into all these situations mm-hmm. and learn by fire. So talk to me a little bit about, I mean, you kind of did at the beginning, but what you're doing at attention. So you're working with different clients that are hiring attention to create content for them via video or everything. Yes. So a little bit of everything. Um, I work in branded content. So meaning I partner with brands, whether it's, you know, a consumer packaged good brand, a nonprofit, sometimes it's even like a celebrity who just like wants to get their videos out, any kind of partnerships we will create content for digital platforms. So videos, Instagram posts, Instagram stories, any kind of like YouTube vlogs, sometimes interactive websites, anything like that, that kind of furthers their message. Um, Attention is a um, storytelling company, but all of our stories have a purpose. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, we used to be called stories that, uh, inspire action. So things along those lines. So I will create anything that create anything that will inspire action in someone else. 80% of that is videos. So what I'll do is I'll talk to the client. I'll pitch it to them, kind of help them put together. Here's what your money can buy. Here's how fast we can turn it around. Um, I'll develop the scripts. I'll, if I need to hire a writer or a director, I'll do that. Um, sometimes, most of the time, I will write and direct it myself and then kind of see it through into post-production where we kind of create the final product. And then we'll even track the success on the digital platforms um, and see what we did and didn't do well. I'm not so, sure if that answered your question. <laughs> no, it did. It did. Because, um, I mean, I've asked you a thousand times, like, what you do, and it's still, like, not super clear to me just because I don't have experience in what you do. Um, but I remember when I went out to LA and we were visiting you, you were talking about how you did something like with Play-Doh. Like, can you give an example of like a brand you've worked with and what you've had to make for them? Totally. So Play-Doh is a really, really great, probably one of my favorites. It's a moment in my life I'll never forget. Um, so I directed, well, co-directed and wrote um, five Play-Doh spots meaning just like videos that go on the internet. Um, there we had 20 second, 10 second and five second, I want to say videos. And they were supposed to be for Plato's platform and for our platform. So most of the videos that we make are posted on attentions platform because a big part of why people want to partner with us is because of our voice, the way we can say things and our reach. People care about what we're saying. So this was a two full project and Basically, I said, hey, we're going to make five videos. One's going to be about this kid is at dinner and he's being an absolute terror. And yes, his parents don't know how to calm him down. They're going to give him Play-Doh and crisis averted, like Play-Doh solves that like, saves the day. So we scripted that out, got the client to sign off, casted, found a location, filmed it, and then put it together in post as well as like graphics and animation um, anything like that. And we did that for five different instances. Um, and that can be scripted stuff like that. It can be, um, I just did an interview piece with domestic violence victims where I just talked to them for an hour and then we're going to go on the back end and kind of put together a storyline, um, to help further our message. Um, a cool thing about Play-Doh is, um, they loved it so much. They bought, uh, an ad for OTT services which is streaming platforms like Hulu. So I was watching TV one day and my video came up on my Hulu ads. Like a commercial. Like a commercial. And I screamed very loudly (laughs) (laughs) and FaceTimed my mom. That makes you sound like a modern day, like Don Draper. I don't know if you watched Mad Men. Yes, basically. (laughs) What I do is the millennial Mad Men. Yeah. Not so much advertising, not so much marketing, it's a lot of being able to speak to speak to people. Mm-hmm. You know, I can market to you these headphones, but you're not going to buy them because I say these headphones are awesome. You know, these headphones are going to bring the world to life and they're going to help people who can't hear. You know, saying that in a way that appeals to you is so much more valuable to a brand or to a person, to, to anything, than look how cool this is. The, the stats are crazy. It's like 80% of millennials will support anything that has a cause behind it. Mm-hmm. So brands are scrambling to find, you know, what their values are and to jump behind them. 
So it's almost as if, well, it's not almost, it is as if you've landed in creative marketing with like a journalism background. Basically, which is nice because the work that I do here is very information-based. So I, I, I just did some series with insurance where I basically compared things about insurance to modern everyday things. So um, car insurance is like your mom because they're both, they, they both have your back when things go wrong. And then we kind of expanded upon that. Um, but the skills that I'm learning and the skills that I'm developing can be directly applied to narratives. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I want to go into television next, it's extremely similar. You still need a story. You still need a message. You still need compelling characters. It's just 20 minutes as opposed to five minutes. So where do you find, like, what is your main source of inspiration for pitching these clients? Like, are you coming up with others on your own? Are you collaborating with a team? Are you just like sitting at the park and an idea strikes you? Like, how is this happening? Kind of all of it. Um, The creative process is, of course, different for everyone. What I love to do is crowdsource. So I sit with just like a team of people at work, whether they're creatives or, Hey, this is for a pet company and you love dogs. Will you come to my brainstorm? Um, and we just kind of chat and I'll write down their ideas and then I'll think about how it'll come to life. So for, you know, I remember we were brainstorming, do what you want radio, you know, the same thing. It was just you and I in the car on the way to new Orleans, just spitballing back and forth what it could be. And then my next step will be in my head thinking, okay, how would I bring this to life? And then from there, kind of going through the motions and thinking, okay, like I want to make a video about dogs that talk, but how am I going to get a dog to talk? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, I can talk it out with someone that's more experienced, someone that knows what I'm talking about and figure out how we're going to make this bomb video about dogs talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so do you have like tangible tools that you use to help you? Um, storyboard the, these ideas or are you like are you using Pinterest are you using um, Asana or like any project management softwares or are you just like writing in a sketch pad is it all just in your head so a lot of it is um, notes that I didn't I write myself honestly um, we use Google Docs like crazy over here um, we track the success of everything or just the journey of everything in Trello which is huge I, I use it in my personal life too it's great for just kind of managing workflow And a lot of the times, honestly, I will look on YouTube and Facebook, seeing what's working, what people are reacting to. Things are changing so quickly that you almost have to be a fan of what you create just because of social media, whether you are a photographer, you're making a podcast, you make videos, you know, you're like a YouTube vlogger. You have to be completely in tune with the trends because they come and go like crazy. A video that I pitched today might not be the best way to actually make a video in two months just because of an Instagram update or Facebook changes its algorithm again. All of those things are constantly changing. So have you had an experience where something you did was like a flop? Oh yeah. Um, I had this video series that was my baby. I directed it. It was really, really important to me and we published it and it did like 2% organic growth which means we paid for the other 98%. And it was a huge blow to my self-esteem, a huge blow to my creativity. I was like, oh, so I'm bad at this. Awesome. (laughs) I feel good about this. Um, And it was my boss who I absolutely adore. She's been in the industry for years. She was like, you just didn't stay true to yourself. 
I made the video that I thought the client wanted, not the video that I wanted to watch. Yeah. Which is so, so important and goes back to like, you have to be a fan of what you do or everything will feel so ingenuine and the audience will see through it. That's what I was going to ask next is like, how do you balance like what you think the client wants with what you know will work? I think it comes with time. Honestly, you know, it took me a long time to understand that like they're paying us to do this. I mean, even with like taking like, like, like doing photography, you know, you think that this is going to be a great shot, but like if this girl brings glitter to her senior photos, like Which they will, you have to like, you know, blow glitter on a dog. Like you have to, yeah. but you have to find a way to make it look cool. And you know, no shade to anyone, but you all do it. Um, <laughs> Blowing glitter on dogs. It's, it's, it's coming. Wait till next I mean, year. I've done um, the blowing glitter and I've done the dogs, but please none of y'all get any ideas of blowing glitter on your dogs during our senior session <laughs> while I'm sweaty in the 98 July, like Louisiana heat. Oh my God. Continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's really similar to being creative. You know, I've had clients be like, hi, we want you to tell this story, but we don't want, you know, we want you to tell a story about domestic violence, but please don't use the word rape or hit. <laughs> I'm like, hi, I don't mean to be rude, but that's what this is. So it's being creative, being really communicative Mm -hmm. with your team and the client and being like, hey, love these, but this is what we do. This is what we know works well. And telling them that, yes, here's, here's the compromise. Here's why it's a compromise. You know, you have to really be strong in your brand voice, whether it's, you know, the attention brand voice, the Jordan Hafler photography brand voice. You know, Glossier is a really good example. They have a really, really awesome, strong brand voice that they can just plug and play things into that now. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. And you know, it's Glossier, even if they're selling you something completely random. That's what I was going to ask you at some point was what are some examples of brands that you think are killing it that you would like love to work with? Glossier, of <laughs> course. I think that they are, they found a way to be feminine and dainty while not being weak, Mm -hmm. which is hard to do in today's landscape. Like for them, makeup is not just empowering in this like fake strong woman, wonder woman sense, but like every single woman is strong because we are women like GTFO. Um, they're great. Um, I absolutely love Nike. I think they are like one of the goats, honestly, they're Mm -hmm. just like absolutely unreal. Um, and I really think that, let me think there's like a million at all times. And I'm like, this is the best branding I've ever seen. <laughs> um, Everlane has really good branding for being an online company. They're absolutely awesome. Um, my personal favorite is I want to say Bergdorf's. Let me look at my phone real quick. There's one department store that is like literally awesome. And you're judging these things based off of like aesthetics or message or both? Overall messaging, the content they make. Um, I am not like a logo person. Like that stuff doesn't really matter to me. Like color schemes don't really matter to me. It's like their overall messaging. Like all of those things go together to kind of give you a brand voice. And some people hit it on the head. Some people are, I think, still struggling to find theirs. A great example of a company that like has strong 
you know, has strong branding, but you don't necessarily know them is like JC Penny. Mm-hmm. Like we've all grown up with JC Penny, but like, if I asked you to describe them in three words, you wouldn't be able to. But if I if asked you to describe like target, you know who target would be as a person, mm-hmm. you know, why you would go to target. Um, a fun exercise that we do is, you know, if target were a celebrity, who would it be? And if you can say that, that's branding. I use Target as an example in my branding workshop online, like just by aesthetics. Because I remember being like in third grade and seeing a Target commercial and you just knew it was a Target commercial before it even ended. And you're like in third grade and you don't even know what branding is. But you're just, you just know. And that's how I always felt about Gap as well. And I felt like Gap had very similar branding to Target, kind of. Um, but it's well, just that's like the thing is like denim. And I'm like, that's not going to work. <laughs> Um, athleisure's in, did you not know? Um, no, but yeah, I think aesthetically, cause I'm, I think we are like the complimentary halves of like, you're like the words person, the messaging, like the logistics. And like, I know that I don't even think about that until the last part I'm thinking of like, Oh, I like their colors of the aesthetic. Oh my color. gosh. And I'm the opposite. But, yeah. Which Whenever is I work with like the art department, I'm like, I'm thinking bright colors, nineties. And they're like, we will see about that. <laughs> Well, that's why I think it's interesting to interview you because just because you're not like thinking aesthetically doesn't mean you're not creative. Like there's different ways to be creative. And I think your job position calls to be creative, but just in a different way that a lot of people aren't thinking that way. Or they might not even um, categorize a job or profession like what you do as being a creative part of the industry. And it totally is because if all the art people were making stuff, nothing would work. (laughs) Well, it's so interesting because nothing really works without a story. And that is what I do. I tell stories. You know, it's something that goes back to even like my Disney days. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney, Disney does everything to create a story down to what we wore, what we said, you know, all of those things tells a story. And I kind of have carried that through my everyday life. So when I'm working with the brand, you know, when I'm doing stuff with my friends with all, you know, I'll edit stuff and shoot stuff for people. You've got to be telling a story and the brands that you remember have told you a story over the years and target's a great example. They're family friendly. They're fun. They're dependable. They have told you a story. You know who they are where, you know, I, I hate to say JC Penny again, but like what is JC Penny's story other than like when that one time they like didn't have sales. Do you remember that when they were like no more sales. And then like five years later, like five months later, they were like joking black Friday's on <laughs> like, <laughs> You're untrustworthy because you're not telling me a story. You're not being honest. No, I didn't know that. But I I actually don't even think about JCPenney having a sale because I feel like their positioning is to be perpetually a sale. It was like their thing a while back. It was like, no more sales, always cheap. And I'm like, that is not the story you want to be telling. You're <laughs> well, a department store. Yeah. I don't know. I have have all kinds of opinions on JCPenney, mostly because my mom still drags me there all the time. And the fluorescent lighting, it's oh, just so absolutely unflattering. Suburban women love JCPenney's. <sighs> they do. Southern women love it. So wait, so on that subject, tell me about growing up in the South and in New Orleans versus moving to LA. What are some of the biggest differences between the two? <laughs> Which I know everything, but... Um, yeah, everything. Um, New Orleans has got the best culture in the whole world and LA's whole culture is like the lack of culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to say like LA's whole thing is like everyone here is a hustler, but not a hustler. Um, the politics are very, very different. Mm-hmm. 
But with that comes a certain lifestyle. Everything's a lot more familial in New Orleans, in the South in general, where here you have got to hustle. You know, no one owes you anything. You have to find your own family, find your herd, find your mentors. You've got to really prove yourself in this city, um, which is something that I struggled with for like a year. You know, I was like, I don't know how to, like, when will I be the best? Like, I've got to be the best. You know, when you're in college, every three months, you kind of like level up no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like you take journalism 101, then journalism 102. You are your sorority's vice president, then your sorority's president. Like you just level up. There's no long-term goals mm-hmm. until you graduate. So in a, when you are where you grew up, you at least have one thing there. You have your, your home life. When you move away and you kind of like rip away everything that you're familiar with, you're building everything at the same time. And it's really hard because like you're proving yourself at work then you're going home and you're trying to prove yourself to the people in your life, you know, and it's really tiring, especially in a town like LA where 80% of people have ulterior motives, but it's not a bad thing. You know, people want to succeed. People just want to succeed. And the minute you learn to also like in the back of your mind, be thinking of yourself and your future, those ulterior motives become less sinister and a lot more relatable. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're my little shining star out there in Hollywood. <laughs> I think you're doing great. Um, no, I, I think that's interesting that you say that. And I know, like, I mean, just coming to visit you and it's just really cool to see someone like doing it because you live so close to like all these iconic things. Not that New Orleans isn't that way because I totally agree. New Orleans is the best culture, but it's just crazy to be like you. I mean, we walked from your house to the Santa Monica Pier, and I was like, is this real life? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I pay as much for my room and half of bathroom than my parents do for their house in Prairieville. So, <laughs> I mean, it comes with its ups and downs, but some you have to go where the opportunities are. You know, mm-hmm. if I wanted to work in tourism, I would have never left New Orleans. You know, if I want to work in space aviation, I'd have to move to NASA, wherever that's located. I think it might be Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, you know, I hope to one day have my own television show. So I've just got to be here. It's, you know, kind of part of the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But this is my home now. So I'm sure with it. It's not really a sacrifice if you like it. Exactly. It was a real sacrifice for the first year. And my advice to anyone moving far away is to give yourself more than a year. The first year is going to suck no matter what. I don't care if your grandma lives there. If your best friend lives there, it might be a little bit easier. But if you're taking a big jump, it's going to you're going to have an adjustment period. You're used to having, you know, several support systems in place and you just need to build that back up. And it takes time, but you can't really judge wherever you move or whatever you're doing based off the first like six to 12 months. Well, it's refreshing to hear that from someone like you who is extremely social and, like, you can talk to a wall, I mean, like I can. So, I mean, just knowing that someone who's social had a hard time for a year just, you know, goes to show that everyone has their own little backstory to how things happen. Especially creative people. You know, creative people are always thinking, like, my ideas aren't good enough or I need to protect my ideas. Like, I mean, they're... Creative people spend so much time inside their head. That's why they're creative. So much shit's going on in there. Oh, can I curse? Yeah, it's fine. 
Sorry, everyone. No, um, I had so to make it just... explicit because I cursed in the first episode. So now the whole podcast is explicit. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's still like PG though. <laughs> so much stuff goes on inside of our brains that will like, you know, sometimes we would rather stay at home and write than like go out and meet people. And then we kind of get inside our own heads and we're like, well, I should be writing instead of doing this. But having fun and enjoying yourself and living life is so integral to the art that you make that you cannot board yourself up. You, you just can't do it. Yeah, I find that um, if you have no contact with the outside world, then it's much, much harder to get inspired. Because sometimes I'm inspired by like the weirdest thing or I have this random conversation with someone I never would have talked to at some random event and then it might spark some whole idea or it could you know, lead me to want to interview them on the podcast or whatever. And it's just you wouldn't have had that opportunity if you didn't go outside um, or expose yourself into other aspects of life that you wouldn't have normally thought you'd be interested in. So I think that's really good advice to like just get out. Totally, especially like at least in what I do, it's really important to understand the world bigger than your life. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell, I work with a lot of people of color, you know, I tell a lot of stories of the LGBTQ community and it's so important to understand that stuff and the best way to understand it is to live it um you know I'll be driving or talking to someone and get a really great idea and I'll like jot it down in my in my phone or like record myself saying it just to remember for later and I might not use it for like two years but you know I'm going through my phone notes when I need inspiration and I'm like oh my god I met this super awesome woman who was telling me the story I have her email address I need to email her for this video that reminds me randomly of this short story or essay or something I had to read in college. Shout out to my professor, Christine Thompson. She had us read something in art school and I think it was written by a choreographer, like a dance choreographer, but it was pretty, it had lots of like relatable strains to like all creative parts, but it was something along the lines of like this person would have these ideas and would just write them on pieces of paper and put them in a box. And then whenever they needed to like choreograph something or make something, they would just go to the box and like, here's all these ideas that didn't ever fit with anything. That's awesome. Down. And that's, I probably just butchered that entire story, but I remember something about that. Cause it's kind of the same thing. Like essentially like <laughs> I'm such a millennial, like what I'm doing on Pinterest or something, like I'll find something and I'll put it up there. And then later when I have to go design something or uh, photograph a new shoot or something, then I'm like, Oh, I saw this thing five years ago in this obscure <laughs> magazine or whatever. And it's on Pinterest. And I know that we're kind of going on a tangent now, but I feel like, it's um, interesting that you said you like stop and record yourself or like write it down because a lot of times I'll be like, I'll remember that. And then I don't at all. I literally can't. Even if it's like actresses that I like, you know, that like one day when I have my own TV show, I want to remember this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was in like the fifth grade or something. I saw an episode of Law and Order and I was blown away by this one girl's performance. And like I've had notebooks my whole life, I, like wrote her name down in a notebook. And I was like, uh, when I get rich and famous, I'm going to cast this girl on something. And I was like literally 12. Like, who am I going to cast? <laughs> but I remember being like a, you know, a junior in high school years later and the girl, Sarah Highland. Like I remember being so obsessed with Sarah Highland when I was younger and then hearing about her on this new sitcom, Modern Family. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I'm going to watch this now because I, I remember that girl. So you know, when it comes to casting or writing or anything at all, like, those moments from the past are so important. And there's moments now that I remember with my grandmother when I was like five that 
in the context of my adult life mean so much more to me than they did when I was five. So writing down even how those moments change for me are going to set me up for like writing really beautiful stories, even if they're just for me. Yeah. And you're definitely a writer. <laughs> That's like- definitely. I, I'm much better with words than any other medium. <laughs> well, you've been really eloquent so far in all this. I mean, I know you know you, but we never really talk this serious because we're always yeah, just like, this is the most serious talk we've, I think, ever had. <laughs> I, um, I've, I feel like I've talked about Zeta in like almost every episode, which is so funny because I don't talk about Zeta as much, but now that I'm graduated, but Katie, Catherine, Silva, you have three names now to me. She was my <laughs> little sister in the sorority, which any of y'all who know what that means, like, yes, big little. Um, but <laughs> she's like covering her mouth now. It's, <laughs> but I never really thought of you like that because I feel like we just jived with like, creative stuff but um I always thought you were doing cool stuff and it's just like completely escalated now to where you live in Los Angeles and me and Christian go to like visit you in LA um because you're working with Oprah and like Mickey Mouse and all these people I don't even know so <laughs> you have quite the repertoire of of uh, what's it called uh, co-workers um so anyways but I think a lot of the stuff that we did together in Zeta and LSU in general we would have all these conversations and just it's funny to look back now because I own my own business and you're out in LA and it's like we would just have these like simple conversations about like how you were going to be rich and famous and like be like a movie director or a producer or an actress and I was like well I want to work at Vogue and it's crazy because those things didn't happen but there's just so many things that did happen since then um so like what is it could still happen oh yeah but I'm just saying even just in the short amount of time it's interesting because I feel like we both still have pretty much stayed in our lanes as far as like what we were talking about four or five, six years ago, um, just in a little bit different capacities than I would have expected. But um, something that we both used to talk about and I think and still talk about is like how you have to like at the risk. I mean, at the um, it, I, it might sound a little pretentious, but if you want people to like take you seriously, you have to like pretend like you're important. Yes. Do you know what I mean? We've had this conversation multiple times. Yeah. Um, if you want people to think you're famous, act famous. Yeah, and I don't really mean that in, like, a sassy, like, pretentious way, but it's true, like, no one's going to give you the go-ahead that you're all of a sudden an expert in your profession, so you kind of just have to You have to prove that people should care about you. You're just like, I am important, so I'm going to address you as if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and because you do. And so I, I think that was always a funny conversation we'd have that it has proven to be true, at least in both what we do now um, in some regards. I think it's, it's something that I still struggle with. And I think talking to you and my friends and things like that, it is easy for me to be like, yeah, so, you know, I just, you know, I was directing a one, you know, $1.3 million shoot the other day and someone looked at me sideways. Like, you know, I can go off to you, but, and you were saying this earlier, like selling myself in something like this to like strangers is weird. Um, because I, women are like so taught to like, sit down and be thankful for what they have. And it's just not necessary anymore at all. I actually try for all of my sets to be 80% women as often as possible because the only people that are going to make you think that you are worth it are the people around you. And eventually you'll believe it. So I think weirdly enough, being in a sorority like hyped us up (laughs) Yeah. Like being an organization like that hyped us up and they were like, Jordan is the best photographer. Let's have her take pictures of everything. And like at the time it was such a pain in the ass because they like didn't pay you. But now like 
you can do all of that and you are the, like the coolest because you did it. Well, thanks first of all, but second of all, it's just, it's funny too, because like you said, the whole leveling up thing when you're in college and I'm still very much like in a college mindset, which is crazy because it's been four and a half years. Um, but when you're in college, you're right. You're, you have something to work towards those goals and there's like semesters and it's like this definitive like timeline of like next year I'll be better because it's next year and (laughs) I'll be older and I have taken this class or I've done this thing. And like you said, when you graduate, it's like this perpetual season. Like, I feel like there's no seasons anymore. I kind of have seasons with what I do because I'm like a farmer and I have to like pray for sunshine in order to take pictures. (laughs) But, and like, I'm busy in the spring and the fall, but overall, like I never know what day of the week it is. I don't know what month it is. It's like this perpetual thing because there's no like definitive timeline to be like, it's summer. So we're off of school. Um, And I think that, messes with your psyche a little bit because you don't have these like deadlines to really propel you with anything that oh you're my doing. god totally and so job wise maybe if you work for someone like in an office you have those but I know especially for me like just kind of waking up every day and being like I am the architect of my future like that could be good <laughs> or bad um it's it's crazy because if you don't set any deadlines for you so going back to the expert thing if you don't position yourself as an expert and make people think that you're important and good at what you do then like no one's going to do it for you uh, especially if anything after school definitely not maybe while you're in school because like you have support systems and groups and you know organizations or classmates or whatever but outside of college like if you're not telling people like why you're the best then they're never going to believe you're the best and you may not even feel like you're the best but you have to give that answer by yourself or else it's not going to (laughs) happen totally and like that's how you get these like kid wonders you know what I mean like there are people selling their films you know like 19 year olds selling tv shows to comedy central because they believe they're the best well you know will it work I hope so. It'd be awesome to have a 19 year old run a show on comedy central. But if you're not like this show is going to be amazing, you're going to win 16 Emmys. It'll be the funniest show on television. I'm not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to work with attention if they're, you know, creative producers aren't like, I guarantee you, we can make you the best video on the internet. Yeah. It goes back and a to lot of that, that is taking time to like hone your craft as well. Cause it's so easy to coast. Yeah. And it, it goes back to what you were saying about, um, if you're not a fan of what you're doing, then like no one else will be. So it's kind of like at, you may feel like overconfident or like you're being like pompous or something. But at the end of the day, like you are your only like a solid cheerleader you're going to have. Um, so if you're not <laughs> hyped about it, then like why would anyone be hyped enough to pay you to do it kind of thing? Totally. And like when you're working with brands, it's hard. Like it's hard to like work with a brand that you don't feel connected to mm-hmm. And be a fan of your own work. It mm-hmm. is. But if you can successfully make something with a brand that you don't love, and like, let's face it, all creative people have to work with brands. Like, if you can somehow navigate your creative life and never work with a brand, please call me. I'm interested in hearing your story. Well, or this, basically, talk to Jordan. Your <laughs> story is that they never got paid to do anything. Because the brands are the ones that are going to totally pay you to do something. You can work with people who are brands. To, you but- have to genuinely like what you're doing or like have faith in yourself that you'll get there because if you are if you don't like what you're doing number one it's going to get really old really fast and people are going to see through it there's a reason why some youtubers you know blow up overnight because they genuinely love it and their audiences can tell yeah it's that whole saying that the cream rises to the top or whatever 
which I think a lot of that is super relevant in this day and age because for a long time imagery was important like tumblr images and people got tumblr famous and then instagram images and everyone standing on the cliff with their big hipster hat on like holding like you know a latte a sunflower on the, yeah whatever in those you're like, wow, but everyone can replicate it. You just had to go travel. and But now it's like video is what's rising to the top and podcasts and videos and, and in-person, like, community-type engagements. And so if totally. you can only hide behind your pretty Tumblr images, like, but you can't deliver anything um, of value, like, vocally or in person, then the cream's just going to, like, rise to the top. You know, like, everyone's going to, like, fall away because I feel like so much is moving towards being that buzzword authentic but everything's moving towards being authentic and then like you know if you can't hang with that then it's going to definitely show real fast in this day and age totally and you know yes video is very very important it is you know every platform is optimizing for video it, they just are I mean Facebook's trying to become the next Netflix which don't I mean they're doing a great job honestly they've got some great content but even ahead of that, like if you are a one man band and you don't, you don't like video, you, you don't want to be on camera. That's where, you know, blogs and Instagram captions, and Instagram stories, like you still have to find a way to connect, mm-hmm. you know, and the word authentic is so buzzy and like so lame these days, but it's true. You have to find a way to connect. And that's that story. And I'm kind of like a broken record when I talk about stories, but I feel like you can look at your favorite photograph and it tells a story. There's that one photo I have by you that you like hate that I'm obsessed with. Of that chandelier. Jordan gave oh me God. Jordan gave me this photo like literally four years ago. No, that's hopefully like longer ago, hopefully. It's oh. a real long time ago, but it's like half of a chandelier and it's like in black and white. It's so and cliche. it just makes me think of like the Titanic. Like I go on a trip to this like Gatsby esque like haunted house like it is to me one of the most magical photos ever because it tells me a story yeah and she does not like the photo anymore but it's up in my room (laughs) to me I'm like um I was walking down the street in New Orleans and took a picture of a chandelier through a window and it's like super cliche and cheesy and like very myspacey like very Jordan circa 2008 very like cool tone black and white vignette Like, very high contrast. With a nice Avril Lavigne quote beneath it's it. literally just one step away from being that, which, you know, at the time was cool. But I can't believe that you like that picture so much. But I guess it does go to show you that, like, you don't, you aren't always – once your work leaves your hands, like, you're not responsible for how it's received. And it might change someone's life or piss someone off, and you can't control any of that. Totally. I actually recently did a video in conjunction with ABC, and it was about, like – how toxic masculinity hurts men and it was one of those videos where I like closed one eye while I did it because I was like I can't believe I'm doing a video about men like this goes against everything inside my beans I like did the best I could and I was like you know masculinity is a man's a men's issue too and I put it out to the world and I was fully ready to be roasted like excommunicated from the feminist club like (laughs) ABC calls up and is like who worked on this where are your brain cells and People loved it. They were like, this is so true. Men should be able to have emotions. Like, you know, people villainize men so much. They're like, you know, let's, let's talk about how men can improve. And it kind of caused me to like take a step back and like rethink my own thoughts, if that makes sense. And like, look at like the video I made and like think why it connected to people and why, why am I not connected to it? 
And it like is one of attention's like most successful videos at the end of last year. Weirdly enough, and it's because people really, people resonated with it. You don't always need to like, you know, be a warrior, I guess. I don't know. No, it's just, so, it's just so strange when things like leave and like they leave your presence and they take on a whole new life and it causes you to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm rambling. No, I think that's the whole point of a podcast because I can't have an hour long Instagram caption, but I can have an hour long podcast with someone. Um, no, I think rambling is good. Um, I totally agree. And I, I kind of talked about that with, I think Thomas in the first episode with just artwork in general and how you can put something out there, but you have no idea how someone else might take it. And, um, I think that's really, it's almost like a social experiment at some point to be like, how is this being received? And what did I do that made it get to that? Um, I remember I had this, <laughs> this super controversial photography series I did in college and we were supposed to, um, emulate or be inspired by cinema and do a series of photos based on like a movie. Are these your clown photos? No, but we can talk about another. I had lots of clown photos. I love clowns. And they always were controversial in critiques, so I just kept doing it because you either got an A or an F because if they're controversial, there's only two ways you can go. But anyways, this was a different thing. And I don't remember why I picked this movie or if we had to pick from a list of movies, but I picked the um, that one film, The Assassination of Jesse James or whatever, but it's like a really long title. It's longer than just that. Hmm. Here's Jordan 101. I don't watch movies ever. I watch, what, 8 Mile and The Da Vinci Code and Across the Universe and that's it. Um, and Forrest Gump. And then I repeat. So I'm not a very good, like, film person. So I just picked this one movie and there's this part where, like, they're, it's like a train heist and it's at night and there's fog and they're all, like, wearing these masks and they're about to, like, ransack the train, whatever. So I decide, and there's, like, fire and guns and they're all just, like, it's really spooky and, like, super dramatic. And so I decided to recreate this to, like, inspire a shoot in my backyard in, um, in my parents' house. And we live on a swamp. And I got, like, a fog machine. And I had, like, friends model. And I had, like, lighting and all this stuff. And I, like, cut up T-shirts to wear, like, to, like, wear them as masks. And then it ended up looking like I had a KKK rally in my backyard. I remember this. And it was, like, the world ended. First of all, I think the neighbors thought we were on crack. Second of all... Everyone brought it up in the critique, and I truly was like, what? Like, these are like, they're high, there's a train heist, but there's just no train in the photo. <laughs> it's like, obviously, they're about to rob a train, but it's like a guy in a white mask with, like, holes cut out, and he's, like, holding a shotgun, and it's, like, smoke, <laughs> and it was just, like, not what I was going for. And it was such a crash course in, like, learning how things can be received, and then, like, you're not always there to defend yourself with your work um, and what your intentions were. So it was just really interesting, like situation as a whole the photos are really cool but i can definitely see now how they could be real questionable um because the masks looked very similar to like vintage kkk things and that's not what i was going for but anyways that was just a side story does that give you empathy you think when like a brand or a celebrity says something that is taken the wrong way yeah i mean because it happens to everyone, and especially if you're, like, a celebrity or something. I can't even imagine. There's so many things out there that I've said and done and put on the internet that I didn't mean anything bad from. But I can't imagine being, like, this famous person and having people just constantly, like, combing through everything you've ever done and then just trying to use it against you. And I think there's definitely situations where things are taken out of context, and that's just, like, so so hard. It's got to be so hard. Like, Yeah, I think that's where they like, the importance of, like, again, not working fully alone comes in handy. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, 
it's like a school project, but if you would have like, you know, shown it to someone and been like, what do you think? You know, then they would have been like, this is a little KKK-ish, maybe pick another It's a little KKK-ish. There are, you know, so many like brand campaigns that sometimes I'm like, who, like, did someone else look at this? Like, you know, like, but like when, when like beauty companies release like a foundation shade of like 12 shades, I'm like, you, like, you need to expand your circle, need to get second opinions, like, that is important. Can we talk about the Pepsi Kendall Jenner debacle? Oh my God. That, was that is bad. That's people working in a silo. Like there was an advertising exec who was like, Oh my God, Kendall Jenner. Perfect. Like I'll write the script and handed a script to a director. And in cases like that, the director just does what they're told. They're like, Hey, make a video with Kendall Jenner in this riot. They're, they, they can't push back and be like, no, I don't think so. Cause they're, 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 they're a hired hand. Mm-hmm. So some, it's some marketing and Pepsi Cola was like, this is a fabulous idea, but they didn't talk to like anyone of color or like anyone that cared about social justice. It was like a bunch of white guys in an office being like, she's cool. Right. <laughs> um, that was just terrible timing too. I feel like just all of it together. It was just, and even if it wasn't, politically charged it was just stupid like I felt like she was a terrible actress that just was bad well that's something and I get it it's like Pepsi like unites us all like cutie I get it but like that was a terrible execution yeah. of it like well, and, and instead it was like white people unite us all <laughs> well, I feel like that was a really good example of like something being taken the wrong way and like I don't know how many people believe that like I mean I feel like the Kardashian family Chris Jenner wouldn't have put her daughter in the line of fire for something that political on purpose. I don't think, I mean, I know she like orchestrates a lot, but I just feel like that's a situation where like, it was just like completely just messed. The whole thing was just a mess. Like nobody, they're just, it was bad. And I feel like that's an example of like, you feel kind of sad for someone. Cause that like screwed her up. I feel like, I feel like she's still dealing with that backlash. Well, you know, the proactive is helping her get her confidence back. Uh, well, she Sorry, doesn't actually have acne because she is rich. Anyways, I'm a big Kardashian-Jenner fan. Anyone listening? I'm hardcore there. I'm not making fun of them, but I am. Jordan loves Kylie Jenner so much. I actually record every episode. But Kylie (laughs) needs to work on her photo editing skills because she's way too rich to be that bad at it. Um, Oh, yeah. I saw your post about it. You should offer them do what you want uh, workshop for free. You know, I tagged – well, for free, uh, they could probably afford it. True. Um, (laughs) But think of all the promo. No, I think – the Kardashian, because I've texted you when Kylie was like mystery pregnant for like an entire year. I would text you and be like, "Do you have any friends in LA? Have you seen the Jenners? Are you in Calabasas? Like, do you know them? Are you in their front yard?" Um, because Katie's in LA, right? That's what I would think how that works. I mean, you already have Oprah works. and Will Ferrell and Nikki. So, anyways, um, I think the Kardashian. This is a whole like rant now, but I think their whole thing, the the marketing, just the the logistics I'm just fascinated more than anything with how all of that like it just exists just the whole family and how there's like continuously making them relevant by being irrelevant it's just genius I'm so I mean it's brilliant and if you listen if you it goes back to like the way you know Morton salt is still necessary like people need attention like people people need to give their attention to something and it needs to be something that makes them feel good and bad at the same time, you know, and all the things that the Kardashians do, I think about this a lot because I like can't decide if I'm a fan or not. Like I think I am, 
but like I love Taylor Swift and that's just a, you know, it's, a problem. Same here. It is a very big, but problem. they are so good at like telling their story. Like we are this ultra rich, ultra close family. You, you know, everything about us is unattainable, but we're weirdly familiar at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they're just, I don't know who they hire to do their publicity, but they should be quadrillionaires because their narrative is so perfectly crafted. Even Kendall, like doing that terrible Pepsi commercial, it's like young people make mistakes. Hers was just a million dollar mistake. Mm -hmm. Oh no. And it's just like, nah, dude, like that was bad. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just beyond fascinated with them and will continue to be to the end of time. Like I'm like shameless, but also ashamed. I can't tell. It's both. Um, but wait, speaking of that, so connection, wasn't that like a game back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan Seacrest, <laughs> I just died. Ryan Seacrest is what, a producer? Or he like made the show, right? The Kardashians? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then isn't he somehow involved with attention? He is one of our investors, I want to say. He's like on the board or he's an investor. But yeah, him, Bill Maher, a lot of really cool people really believe in attention, which is very cool. That's very interesting because you, I mean, if they're successful doing other things and they want to give money to attention, that's just like the ego boost, you know? Right. Which is, you know, it takes a really long time for companies to make money. Frankly, mm-hmm. it does. And I mean, you know, you, you run a company. Yeah, I break it takes a long time to be like a multimillionaire and it's hard work a lot of the time. And especially in this industry, or being creative in general, everything is understaffed. Everything is overpriced. Like you're never going to get this like dream scenario. You're always going to get the underhand, but it's really cool to like have these people who are like such titans in the industry be like, no, what you're doing is great. You know, keep like, keep moving forward. It's awesome. And it definitely like makes me as like a young person who is still learning so much every single day, like excited to learn more. And I don't want to work in digital forever, but the connections and the skills and all of those things, like I really do think are going to benefit me in the future, or at least I hope let's do this again in five years. We'll see. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like we're kind of naturally wrapping up, but I had one more question. It's very important. It's the most important question I've had the whole night. What celebrity oh, wow. encounters have you had living in Los Angeles? Um, okay, well, Tyler, the creator, sat behind me at this comedy show on Friday. What? Yeah. I, like, went to go – I see him all the time. I, like, I've seen him, like, three times. But he, like, is really – he, like, he and I have the same humor. We laugh at the same jokes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You should have just been, like, can we get dinner? After. Oh, I, I wanted to be like, hey, I saw you outside of the sneaker shop last year, but I figured that doesn't stand out to him. Um, <laughs> but it stands out to you, obviously. I was like, hey, I saw you outside of the sneaker shop by this pizza place last year. Do you remember me? <laughs> the coolest one is I went to this Christmas party once and Bradley Cooper was there. And I remember thinking it was like three years, two or three years ago. And I remember thinking he looks bad. He's fat. His hair's grown out. For some reason, he like looks like a, he looks like he's a virus. He was preparing and he was like sleeping on this like music executive couch at the time. He was planning for a star is born, which is the best movie of all time. Really? He deserves all the Oscars. I don't want to get into this right now, Jordan, offline. Okay. I'm so underwhelmed the star is born, but I also love eight mile and you can't take that. I've seen it four times. Well, I've seen eight mile. But that's the coolest just because 
I remember thinking like, he looks bad. Like what's he doing with his career? And now I'm like, Oh, only the best thing a person could do. Um, one more. Cause I already know about this one, but what was the deal? It was like Demi and the Jonas brothers or James Corden or something. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Um, in our old office, carpool karaoke pulled up across the street and you know that carpool karaoke where like Demi Lovato and Nick Jonas like sang on the side of the street. Mm -hmm. Um, that was across from my office. It was in front of an Urban Outfitters. And we, like, went and walked across the street and watched it. And I gave them an attention shirt. And you can see me in the video. So go watch it on YouTube. Just shameless plug. I was an extra in a Demi Lovato, um, you know, impromptu street side <laughs> concert. <laughs> yeah. Um, the coolest was that I'm also an extra at Pitch Perfect, filmed on LSU's campus. Oh, yeah. When Anna Kendrick and... I don't know who the main guy is anymore. I forgot his name. When they kiss, um, there are two girls chest bumping in the background, and I am one of those girls. <laughs> Man, was your credit like chest bumper too? Um, if I had to guess, they tried to cut me out. Now knowing how this process works, they definitely tried to find another take, but they couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think Charlie was an extra in that too. My friend Charlie, I think she was like the stand-in for Anna Kendrick when she wasn't like around. So she would stand there for the lighting and stuff. Damn. That, I'm pretty that's sure. I could be well. wrong. I could be wrong. Um, that's another movie that I hate. But <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say all these things on the record. Anyways, well, Catherine, Silva, it has been quite a pleasure chatting with you via the digital skype Rooney. Um, where can people keep up with what you're doing? I am on Twitter at KT Silva. So letter K, letter T, Silva. Um, that's where you can find all of my hot takes on Game of Thrones. And then I am on Instagram at KM Silva, letter K, letter M Silva. Website laughing. to come. I was laughing while I was drinking my LaCroix and it dribbled all down my face. Um, Game Sweet. of Thrones, I've been seeing your thread. I don't watch any of that shiz. We ain't um, so I consider all TV watching to be research for me because I want to run my own TV show. That's true. And Game of Thrones is a train wreck on fire with fireworks coming out. Like you can't decide if it's majestic or just really bad. I don't do any of the sci-fi medieval. Don't see. I don't None do. Yeah. I don't do Harry Potter. I don't do star Wars. I know those are very different, but they're the same in my mind. Um, so game of Thrones fits right in with that, but I heard there's a lot of like naked, like wildebeest. Sex. I've seen more boobs on this television show than anywhere else. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap it up, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, before I get LaCroix coming out of my nose, out of my nostrils, um, thank you so much, Catherine. It was, like I said, a joy to talk to you, and I am going to stop the recording and talk to you more about Game of Thrones off the record. Hey, y'all, just popping in to give a big thanks to you for tuning into this episode of Do What You Want Radio. As always, if you are enjoying what you're listening to, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and follow if you're on Spotify. I am super active on my Instagram account at Jordan Heffler if you're interested in keeping up with me there. And I also have a weekly email newsletter that you can subscribe to at jordanheffler.com slash subscribe. Every Thursday, I send out a tip of the week along with promotional information about my Do What You Want workshop series, online e-courses that help you learn to create authentically branded content that leverage growth on your social media platforms all by yourself. I also have Lightroom presets, merchandise, and just general information about my life and photography business in these email newsletters. 
Y'all are so awesome for listening. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep doing what you want. <laughs> Did that sound too fake? <laughs>